All right. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Stories of Selling Human podcast. I'm your host, Alex Smith, and I started this podcast because I believe everyone in the world will someday be faced with a situation. Could be business, could be personal, that requires you to create change. I think we all want to be heard, seen, and understood, but the people who get our attention and convince, persuade, or influence us are not just salespeople. There are great humans throughout all walks of life that we're drawn to. I'm going to share their stories here so we can tap into what makes us human, practice our human skills, and ultimately, we'll all become better at selling by being human. All right, gang, this is someone that I got to know through uh, an awesome connection, Scott McGregor's book, Standing O. He had a profile in it. This person is the president of Tourisk Pro Advisors. It's a company founded to help people change their lives around three basic principles. Number one, changing their mindset from reactive to proactive. Two, defining their drive by examining their whys. And three, building their brand by building personal relationships. I'm super excited to talk to this guy. This guy is a, a speaker. He is an author, business owner. He coaches real estate agents. He coaches really anyone through the workforce that are interested in those three things and just has an awesome story to tell. I'm so excited to invite none other than Jeremy Tourist to the podcast. Welcome. Jeremy. All right. Thank you for having me. It's really, I love being the guest. Right? I'm always on the other side of the microphone, asking all the questions and having to listen very intently and active listening isn't fun for me. This is a skill that takes hard work. So being on this side is actually a, a, quite a relief and fun. So thank you for having me. Awesome. You know, thank you for joining. Uh, we'll have some fun, you know, two podcasts, kind of jamming it up. And, you know, you, you know, we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, Jeremy, you can't really see it for those listening. Like Jeremy is is a, a true pro. I, I'm I'm just learning from Jeremy. Jeremy's in the studio right now. I'm in my room, but it doesn't matter because we can still have these awesome conversations. I'm gonna get into Jeremy, like your story in a second, and you know those three things in the front because I think we talked about. Yes, this is about uh, how we're all in sales, but I, I'd love to kind of talk through about the tactical things you do to help people change their mindsets and defining their drive and they're building their personal brand. We'll talk about all through those things and also your personal story, which I feel like is so unique and just, it's a lot of adversity. And I just feel like we, uh, it's, it's vulnerable, but we should all learn something from it. And, um, you know, we, we can talk about that before I do, I ask, I've kind of gotten to this mindset really, Jeremy, where this, uh, the, the podcast, the title is, stories of selling human. And I really am interested in everyone's perspective on this one question that I'm going to be asking everyone from here on. And it goes like this, uh, Jeremy. So the first question for you, when I say the phrase to you, sell by being human, what does that really mean for you? And what does that personify in your life? Well, for me, it means really one of my first principles, which you mentioned is, is building your brand by building personal relationships tactical selling or traditional selling used to be transactional. So I, if I'm going to a networking event, I'm seeing business people who I want to extract a deal from. And so this pandemic hit and it changed everything. It changed the way, you know, you mentioned real estate agents training. I do have a course on that. It's mostly so I can spend time with my wife because I traveled for 10 years 
uh, 45 weeks a year. She's a real estate broker. So I said, if I'm going to be a corporate trainer, why not train real estate agents? So I, I have a course on that, but really I'm into, um, I have to, I have to go with my tacit knowledge and 30 years of construction and global construction and uh, working with different utility, you know, specifically utility construction for telecommunications is where it is for me. It's where all the opportunities, because I just speak their language so much so that the pandemic hits and I have to change the way I connect with people now. And so luckily enough, I met, the Noodlebergs, uh, Steve and Mark Noodleberg, they have the daily huddle that's on from 8 to 8.20 in the morning on LinkedIn, changed my life. They taught me about something called the virtual coffee. And what the virtual coffee is, I'm going to, this is how I built my business. I go to LinkedIn, I look for people that I want in my universe. I look at something on their uh, profile that says, what do I have in common with you? Human, human to human, man to man, man to woman, doesn't matter they have something that I can relate to. I messaged them by saying, Hey, Doug, I noticed that we both like the University of Miami. How about connecting and see how we can support each other? They say yes, because it's a it's not a threatening contact. It's a it's a passive contact. We I noticed we have this in common. We're in the same space. And so they yet they say yes, then I shoot them back with Thanks for accepting my connection. How about a virtual coffee sometime so we can do this face-to-face -face over a virtual coffee? So it's 15 minutes. No, I don't drive anywhere. You don't drive anywhere. We know about in 30 seconds whether we are actually going to be stomping on each other trying to get business or if we're having that human connection. And I found that by not asking about business, especially on that virtual coffee, by building personal relationships, my brand grew so much because now we had a, that 15 minute conversation usually turned into an hour and we weren't talking about business, but after the virtual coffee, I start commenting on his post. I start liking his post. I start sharing his post. And now when I post, which I post every single day about what I do to help people, that's the selling. That's the selling. That guy now sees what I do, sees who I'm helping, sees how I'm helping, knows me, likes me, trusts me, refers me. You know, the number one way to get business is by a referral. I take that back. It's the number two. The number one is an introduction. And so now Doug is referring business to me and he's introducing folks to me by uh, LinkedIn messaging or face-to-face -face if we happen to get to that level. And that is the definition of human selling to me. We change the way we do business by building our brand, by building personal relationships. Yeah. Long answer. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. I like how you went with it. It was passionate because I, I, you've you've lived it. You've seen it. I think the most important thing you said there was like people get so excited to, oh, someone connected with me and they're willing to give me their time for 15 seconds. I got to tell them what I do and tell them how I help and what I do. And yeah. they're just like kind of throwing up all this stuff about like, um, you know, business and like themselves when it's like you're literally like you're not meeting with people to like do business with everyone you have a virtual coffee with you're just trying to meet people and maybe yeah. and 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 through by meeting people they see okay well Jer jeremy's nobody like nobody wants to feel sold to they never want, don't want to no. feel like there's something like um jeremy has uh, another motive or an intention they just want agendas, to jeremy, right? agendas. just yeah. want to feel jeremy has you know genuinely wants to like get to know who i am and he you know he didn't even 
yeah, support, even yeah. if they asked you about your business too, I bet you, you don't even like get into a pitch about you that you might be like, well, you know, this is what I do. You know, I, I bring, I bring up an example of somebody I may have helped recently. There you go. And then yeah. I pivot it right back to them. To them. And yeah, then focus at the on end them. of the conversation, this is the silver magic bullet. And what happens is this is the funniest part. If you get into this little Noodleberg community, because it's not the show, the show is great. You get up in it, but it's the side chat in there because it's LinkedIn, right? So you can't really talk. But in that side chat, everyone's talking to each other and we all end up having virtual coffees. And at the end of every meeting, it's like a race when you're in the huddle, right? For your virtual coffees. I just had one today. I've been in there for two and a half years with the new person, Devin, that I never met before. We could see it in our eyes through the Zoom call. At the end, it's like we're trying to beat each other. How can I help you today? How can I support you today? What can I do for you right now that would make your business more successful today? And that's the magic bullet. When you start giving more, you know, it sounds like cliche. You give more than you expect. You're going to go places. It's that simple. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I see it too with yourself. I mean, you're always willing to kind of give, you know, your time and you offer free, you know, call not to like, unlock some secret magic uh, white paper that you charge $100 for after your meeting. It's literally just the, uh, yeah, I literally uh, want to give my time to anyone who uh, wants to meet uh, just to get to know each other. So I love that answer. Tell me, like, before we get into kind of your coaching business and what you do today, I want people to really get to know you and you know, you said you kind of found this out. You just got into like entrepreneurship and coaching, like in the last, you know, recently in the last few years. And, you know, before that you were in, you know, construction industry and, you know, all sorts of uh, different industries, telco. But if I, if I may, like, tell me kind of maybe where you learned maybe at a young age, like to, to be the person that you are today, Jeremy, kind of like who, who taught you some of those things before you met the Noodlebergs and this LinkedIn thing, where did you really get your, you, you think your just philosophies on life and, and, and you know, your kind of values uh, on, you know, connecting with people at an early age? Yeah. So it, uh, it wasn't, unfortunately at an early age, it took me many, many years. So I like, like most people, I went to school to learn and that school I went to was screw you. Uh, so my parents were <laughs> drug addicts and they were alcoholics and um, they were very, uh, I want to say they were loving because that they, they weren't, but they were not, um, they're damaged people and they didn't know love. They didn't mm -hmm. know it. And so they didn't have the capacity to love. And so I never learned about love. I had friends. They were my friends. I didn't have any rules growing up. I had no border, no, no boundaries whatsoever. Was never encouraged to do well in school. I was uh, told I was stupid. I was told I was, uh, I had a very wicked anger temper problem because uh, I had a lot of uncles. When dad went to work, he was a truck driver and mom had a lot of uncles visiting and they used to come in my bed and roust me up, you know, 88 years old at whatever time and uh, want to wrestle, you know, and that kind of thing. So I, I had a, a lot of anger in me and I had a sister who was deaf, who was 18 months older. So I was the protector. And then I ended up having a brother who was seven years younger than me. And so by that time I was, uh, you know, seven years old and he was like my son because my parents were just, they were just party animals. They just, they didn't, they didn't have a, a chance and I didn't have a chance, but, um, over by the time I was about 17, it, it had gone, uh, you ever watched full, uh, full house and you ever watched shameless from showtime. We were about an eight on the shameless scale, right? <laughs> if shameless was 10, I mean, it was party house and I was Fiona Gallagher. 
uh, you know, the protector and the one that was you know, kind of keeping the family together. So uh, 17, I had enough. I asked my parents to um, sign me to, to the U.S. Marine Corps early enlistment and uh, with all intentions of me leaving the home. And they did. And I went and couch surfed. I had one year to go till I was 18. I took the ASVAP. I enlisted. Had one year because I figured I would have a home. I figured I'd have, uh, I was missing that family, that unit, and I was a born fighter. I fought every day on the streets of Miami and Hollywood because uh, I was a bully bully. I looked for people picking on smaller people, and I stepped in. And sometimes they weren't smaller people. Sometimes they're little people picking on big people. But whoever was the, the disadvantaged runner dog, I would stick up for them, even if I didn't know them. It's just in me. So becoming a devil dog, it would just suited me. I knew it was, that was for me. So uh, I showed up to boot camp uh, for the bus to go to boot camp, Paris Island, 1989, and uh, GED in hand, and Staff Sergeant Samuel, the biggest son of a gun I, I ever met to that, to that day, looked at me and yelled at me, and never forget what he said. He said, you need 15 college credits with a GED. And so the bus pulled away without me because I couldn't even spell the word college. Hell, I have a hard time spelling college. It's one of those $5 words like receipt, you know, college always gets me messed up. So um, I didn't go to college, didn't have a thinking I even could go to college. I was driving tow trucks, painting apartments and couch surfing. By that time, a year had gone by. My parents had disbanded. My whole family left Florida. I wasn't even, I had no, no net then. So I was truly homeless and living on the, uh, friends couches and writing bad checks to get an apartment for a month and because that's what my mom told me you know taught me how to do we we moved dozens of times because she would write these bad checks to get us in and then uh and i didn't even do it consciously i just didn't know about money right i didn't know how money worked i had checks i thought i had more money so that that was my life and i met a girl luckily enough uh whose stepfather asked me if i wanted to make 600 dollars a week I didn't even ask what I had to do. I said, yes. I was living in like some like garage efficiency and I started digging ditches literally for the, he worked for the cable company as a contractor. So I was digging ditches at 20 years old. I got a phone call from my grandmother who was totally blitzed out of her mind. And um, she said seven words that changed my life. And those seven words were, we had this wedding for my sister. I had to fly out and, and first time I ever flew got to Delaware, got to the wedding, came back home. And my grandmother called to see how I was home. And she was like bitching about my dad's wife, Joanne at the time, making everybody miserable. And I was like, well, how is she doing that? Well, she kept talking about how Paulette and Jeremy aren't even Ronnie's kids. And that's how I found out that I wasn't part of that clan as my dad wasn't my dad. And I was happy. I was relieved because now I wasn't tethered to that party mentality, the, the drunken party all the time. And, and, but I still thought I was kind of stupid, really, because I, I did horribly in school. And uh, I was like, I'd fall asleep. I just couldn't concentrate. So I was on a mission to find out who my real father was. And yeah. it took me two years. I finally got a phone number and uh, called the high school to, to get uh, a yearbook from like 1968 when my mom went to out there and pretty much I was conceived in 1970, but I figured, you know, they were in high school in 68 or whatever. And the principal asked uh, for a name. I'm like, well, I told him I only had a nickname and he's like, Oh, I know him. Yeah. Here's his phone number. And he gave me his wow. work number. I didn't even have to explain anything. And so here's the second <laughs> time seven words changed my life. 
I was still digging ditches at the time. And I got the numbers, and I dialed it. And the lady answered the phone and said, law offices of Dewey, Scroom and Howe. So now I changed the, the names to protect the innocent. But the point is, my father was a lawyer. My real biological father had it. So I had lawyer DNA. I wasn't dumb. I was smart. And that changed my life from that day on. I never, ever went eight months in my whole career without a major promotion, minor promotion, some sort of responsibility heaped on me, stepping up, and never looked back. And then I never met that man. In fact, I only talked to him for about five minutes in total. And actually, he was kind of a jerk. And uh, not, not even the smartest person. He was pretty stupid. But just knowing that I wasn't tethered to that family and knowing that my father was a, could do something like get a law degree, that's all I needed. And I've never looked back. And I've uh, found out much later, 10 years after that, I was dyslexic. And then I had ADHD and all these things that explained why I was like that when I was younger. And uh, also, that's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah what wow. did you ask me again <laughs> yeah it's just where you learn kind of to be you and kind of these these human connections i mean i feel a lot like that story i mean just all the things like you know the end a lot of people would be like you know don't you want that relationship like isn't that important to you but for you i can see why that it wasn't i mean that person unfortunately doesn't sound like they wanted it to uh like the relationship on on his end or maybe it was too much of a shock and i don't know uh, maybe... the truth of the matter is he got another girl pregnant at the time i called him and he couldn't tell his wife about me because he just got through getting another girl pregnant he was a dirt bag he was a dirt bag but i didn't need him for that i just needed i got what i needed from him he gave me the best gift anyone could ever give me on this planet and that's self-confidence i had no self-confidence I was jealous of people who used to look at the ground and kick rocks because they had low self-esteem because I had none. <laughs> I really had none. I was depressed and, um, you know, full of rage and, you know, but that turned around that day, that day turned, changed my whole life. Wow. Man, you know, what do you think, like, if, if you kind of, I don't know, how are, how are you kind of like changing that? I don't know if you have children or you kind of like, uh, mentor kids. You have four kids. Both. You see, you see. four okay. kids, and I'm a mentor for junior achievement. Mentor. So, what? Um, how have you used those experiences to to really change other people's lives in a in a positive way? Well, that goes to principle number two: change your mindset from reactive to proactive. Because I live as an example. I'm very open about my my past. I've got you read you know the chapter. I have two brothers who committed suicide, and that was that's what that chapter is about. I have um, depression. I, I've, uh, I'm very open about it. My mother is clinically crazy. The, the term, the medical term is batshit crazy. Uh, she's <laughs> literally nuts because of you know, her, her past. I, I'm not here judging, but um, I cut all these people that were, were negative out of my life over long periods of time. Very hard decisions to make. I didn't abandon them. I support these people, but I don't surround myself and I, I very limit much limit my, my uh, exposure to them. And so I'm open with these kids. I was open with my kids, treated them like, a, like adults, like uh, even when they were very, very young, I, I treated them like adults with love, but I treated them like adults, like they would say, yeah, I want to work at 7-Eleven for, free. you know, I'd say, why? They go for free Slurpees, right? Maybe they're five years old. And I said, well, think about it. Why are you going to work there and have free Slurpees? Well, maybe you can be the, the 
regional manager, you know, of 30 7-Elevens. Then you could have 7-Elevens everywhere, you know, or 30 stores. And they're like, oh, yeah. So I always try to get them to think bigger, you know, even at a very young age. And the kids that I, I mentor, I'm very open about my feelings, about everything. And, um, and my habits in, in, in the building my disciplines with the morning routine and thinking positive and writing positive and being very dedicated to looking at the, at life as what things, when these things happen, they're done for me, not to me because every bad thing that ever happened to me, I've been homeless twice. The first time I told you about the second time was 38 after spending 20 years in the cable industry, fastest promoted person at Comcast cable uh, running $47 million project at 32 years old. But in 2006, I knew everything like every young person does. And I decided to jump out and start a company of my own with cable construction. 2006 was awesome. 2007 was great. 2008, $250,000 revenue, making 100000 a year. And I was on top of the world, had a house. I got divorced. I will tell you, you know, we grew apart because we started young, but best, we stayed very close friends. I went to her wedding. She came to my next wedding. We were very close. But at 38, when 2009 came and the housing bubble burst, I only had the one source of income, which was new developments building the cable systems. And I had six developments drop three weeks before Christmas, 2009. And I had 60,000 in the bank and, you know, 12 employees, five vehicles, 200,000 in debt with equipment and house that cost me 300,000 I owed on. Dude, I was done. Three months, I paid my employees, right? Hoping things would come back. Took a job from an electrician, which was outside my comfort zone because I had only done fiber optics and coax, but it's a cable is a cable. But now I'm dealing with this very small person instead of a corporation. And of course, did all the work and didn't get paid. And that was the last straw. So I was uh, indigent. I was uh, turning 38 or 39 years old. No high school diploma, no college education. 500,000 in debt and single with two kids that I had partial custody of and a lot of responsibility too. So I uh, was homeless, basically lost everything. And uh, went to my mother-in-law's, thank God, my ex-mother-in-law's apartment was in a retirement neighborhood, (laughs) 55 and older. So on the weekends, I was like the reverse and Frank. It was the, the the German guy inside the house being quiet. So the old little bitty Jews wouldn't hear us in this retirement committee and report us to get my step, my mother-in-law in trouble for letting us live there. And it was like, uh, by the way, I got permission from a rabbi to tell that joke. Uh, he thought it was funny. <laughs> so there you go. I have permission, but really it was very surreal and it was a hard time. So I ended up taking a job selling cable on the phone at a call center for the insurance for my kids. And guess what happened first day? Never sold anything. I was a construction guy. Got a promotion the first day because the first call I took, I was on the phone for 40 minutes. The script was about a three minute call. I was on the phone for 40 minutes and I didn't make the sale. The boss was watching me. He came over, gathered the whole department around and said, I'm the new supervisor. We're changing the way we do things around here because I didn't go by the script. I kept this person on. I made a personal connection with her and I was digging at her, even though I had no training, no skills whatsoever. They knew that, but I took over that department. And I think three months after that, I was a manager within that magic number, eight months, I was a director opening up call centers in Jamaica for the company and ended up meeting my wife who was there cutting executives hair. She was a barber. They brought her in to cut the executives hair. Uh, That's how I met her, you know, in 2012 or something like that. And um, that's how it goes, man. 2000, I think I was 11 or so. 
but that's how my life would go is it's just like it's next i had already succeeded by that point even though i lost everything i woke up with a great attitude big smile go to work do the best i can and get stuff done and um that's that's how i learned so much about sales and marketing from that call center three years around that that's a phd right pretty hard diploma <laughs> and you know in real world application there yeah how do you think about adversity why do you think people struggle with it because number one i'm not the normal joe okay so being homeless and being in over a thousand street fights as a kid gets you kind of a, in a weird place in your head and then in my early 20s i was doing full contact martial art combat sports so getting punched in the face for me is a hobby all right there's a chapter in my book called jay jay ain't right because uh I would get hit so hard by my instructors, but I would just smile at them. And it wasn't because it didn't hurt. It did. I could see stars, but they never knocked me out. And I just smiled at them and they used to yell. It, just, it became a common thing there. So when you're talking about, you know, being homeless as a kid and being homeless, technically being homeless I, with children and then seeing how fast I dug out of it with just positive thinking and action, crazy, consistent, constant action, having that proactive mindset, then Really, the trick is, my third principle is examining your whys to develop your drive. I don't need motivation. But when I come across adversity, I have drive. Drive beats, it's like paper, rock, scissors, right? Paper covers rock. Adversity is a rock, right? Well, drive is paper. Right? Now, there is a scissor, and that's your head. Paper, you know, will get cut. Your, your drive will get cut with your mindset. And by the way, I'm making all this up right now, so feel free to use it. But the rock that crushes most people, my drive is so strong because I examine my whys so often and so deep. I drill it down so deep that it becomes drive. Motivation is temporary, like Zig Ziglar says. It's like bathing. You know, it, it's great, but you need it every day. All right. When you have drive, nothing stops you. You can go through any adversity and smile at it because you're looking at it, it's being done for you. And what are the lessons in it? And I still have adversity. I had a kid who got very seriously injured in a bar fight not too long ago. Uh, I got an 18, 20, 23 and 28 year old, I call them roommates, because they won't move out. So they're not kids anymore. They're my roommates. Uh, so I had to deal with that internally, you know, and not go murder somebody. Literally, I wanted to hurt somebody badly. But I, listen, this is what we do in life. We, we put ourselves in situations and when you're in over our head because they didn't grow up on the street fighting like I did. And he learned a very valuable lesson, but it hurts my heart. Right? It hurts me. That's adversity. So how do we, how do we deal with it? You know, the old me would have been in a very different place, but luckily I have my head, my wits, and I want to be an example. So we handle it the adult way and we just deal with it uh, medically. And then we deal with it psychologically. All right. So Jeremy, I have, I have to say, I mean, you, you've not only had a lot of experience with adversity growing up, but also in your life right now. And you have this way about you that, you know, yeah, it seems to like really like bring into focus what adversity really means. And I think in, in sales and, and just in life, people are just kind of afraid of, of, um, and, and they're just racked up with like, we get said no to us more times than we ever get said yes to us. And we get faced with a lot of pressure or struggle and, you know, that fear sometimes cripples us. So I don't know, like, you know, is there, 
like advice that you would give to people that haven't been through like your situation? Because we've had a lot of people and I'm always really curious about this. Like, do you have to go through adversity? Do you have to go through something like a life that you had, which is <laughs> so incredibly unfathomable to me that you've had to go through some of the things that you've had to go through growing up and your parents and um, your home life. And then just, you know, it sounds like even now, sometimes with, you know, kids yourself, you're having to, to really kind of check yourself sometimes. So what do you think about, do you have to go through some of that stuff? to learn this skill? And if not, like, how would people really get through adversity if they haven't been through it themselves? I think everything is relative. So do you have to go through? I went through, I hope not. (laughs) Because I, like you said, I've been through this stuff, but I feel like I paid a very hefty price as a young man, uh, as a boy even. And I feel like uh, things have come around to where they are now. They got, it got, it's almost kind of the way I look at it is it happened for me, not to me, is how I deal with that because it's made me further ahead in my life. Now I'm 50 years old, but I feel like a kid. I really do. I'm starting over this new career with business coaching after 30 years. And really what I did was people coaching back then uh, for about 20 of those years. And uh, now that I'm a business coach, I'm still people coaching. It's all about business. Business is people. And, uh, you know, I have children. And so the adversity now it looks a lot different than the adversity back then, but uh, things happen in your children's life that, where they get hurt sometimes. Uh, you mentioned one of my kids got you know a medical issue uh, in a bar fight, being where he wasn't supposed to be, and you know it hurts your heart more than anything else. Uh, but that's not even happening to me; it's happening to him. I just have to detach myself and handle it a little differently than I would have maybe 30 years ago, uh, where it would have been a, more of a retaliation thing. Now I'm kind of showing him. This is what you get kind of when you're out past midnight. Nothing good happens past midnight. Your mom always told you, right? So for me, when you get told no, right, to get back to kind of where the no comes, because I don't think no is adversity, right? Especially if you don't have commission breath and you don't need those no's to be yeses. That's a really a different place where you are in your life. But a no to me is not yet. Like They're not ready or I'm not ready. I'm not selling it right. I'm not pitching it right. I'm not explaining it right. Or they're not in the position, truly not in the position to accept what I have to offer them, a gift for me to serve them. They're not ready to accept it. And so it's all about alignment. And I think when you don't go through any adversity, you don't understand what misalignment is. But when you have some stuff in your life going bad, and again, everything's relative, um, when, when you know what uncomfortable feels like, you can spot comfortable pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't want to be in a place where you're not growing because that's the different kind of uncomfortable what I'm talking about. But when you're talking with somebody and you're trying to do business with them, I always look at the people I'm doing business with as an equal partner, right? Um, I'm helping you just as much as you're helping me. Uh, I'm a person talking to a person or to people, but I'm here to serve. That doesn't mean that I'm subservient or that I'm over them in any certain way. But when that's not aligned and I'm either either having to push you too hard to say yes and kind of paint you into a corner, that's not fun. And if you're kind of saying yes to me because um, maybe I'm pushing too hard, then you're not going to really look at me as a partner. So that's never really how it works for me. So I'm always cognizant of I'm just telling you what I do. And then if it's good for you, it's good for me. My history speaks from it for itself. I've done the stuff. I've walked the walk, 
talk the talk and I can do whatever I want the rest of my life. This is what I'm doing here to help you, to help whoever I'm talking with. I'm doing this because I get to, not because I have to. So that's kind of, and even if you have zero money, you can still trick your brain. Your brain's pretty mushy. You can trick it into a lot of stuff and just see it that way, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, uh, I like what you said about that because um, I always, uh, you know, when people ask, like, what do you do? Or like, even if you're out of work at any point in your time, like people think like, you know, look, I, I, I think I heard it somewhere where like, I think Jesse Itzler was saying this in his BYLR group, like we, all of us like get bombarded with negative thoughts on a daily basis. Doesn't matter how positive you think you are, the you, most happiest person you've ever met or the most positive person, we get bombarded with something like 50,000 negative thoughts on a daily basis. Like it's just part of being human. Like, you know, thinking yeah. of your kids and like, oh my gosh, like, like what's going to happen with them? Or like, I'm going to go get that person or like, I'm stressed about what's happening in my day, or I don't know if I'm going to be prepared or whatever. And you know, that little shift of like, I get to do this or, you know, not, not like I can do this, but like, I will do this. Like is, is, you yeah, know, is right. really powerful. Like I can gives you an out like, Oh sure. I can do it. I, I think I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Well then that leaves you open for you to fail or not do it instead of like, just, just putting a stake in the ground saying, no, 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 I, I will do this. Right. I'm going, your, your brain's already telling you it's done. It's, it's completed. It's finished. Um, yeah. That's what we say. We call that acting at the speed of instruction. Right. Oh, wow. And so when you, you have that thing to do, you just do it. You just attack it. When somebody comments on, on one of your posts and, or asks you a question on, on a, um, a social media direct message or something and, you go, man, that's a good question that I can't wait to answer, but I'm going to answer it later because I'm in the middle of this. But if it's a two minute answer, just stop and answer it. Now, should you turn off your alerts or you're not, you know, in getting out of state? Yes, but I'm not talking about if you're doing something important to stop. But when people are messaging you and they want to know about your prices, they want to know if, about your availability or they want to know if uh, they someone referred you and you're like, look, I get it back to this person. Just do it. Take the second, answer them back. Tell them either you call me back later. Here's my number. Um, let's get together on a Zoom call. Here's the link. Here's my schedule. Don't put that stuff off. Act, act, act at the speed of instruction. And uh, when you start thinking about that, you said put a stake in the ground. I kind of see it as putting that, sticking your foot in the ground, right? Just like a basketball player, just stepping back and right, getting some space to do the J shot. That's what I do all day long when I got, and I got depression runs through me, man. I got, I just want to go to sleep. Sometimes I get up, I don't sleep at all. And then, so when I, my body says it's time to shut down, it's sometimes when I'm here, I got a nice old comfy couch right over there, man. It's hard not to just go lay down, but I just go, okay, that has to be done. And I stick that foot in the ground and I go do it. I go outside, get a breath of air, come back in and start get my mind engaged again and put on a song and turn it up. And now I'm back at it. So that negative thought that says, man, you got to go to sleep for 20 probably is healthy for me. I probably should do it. But there's stuff to do, you know, and this, that sleeping might be healthy for me. It might be something good, but it's not going to get me closer to my goal right now. And so, you know, I take time to do that other sleeping stuff when I have a chance to. It's not some of the day then the sun's up during on, on a Monday like today is. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious uh, about like, um, you know, the transformations you've seen in your coaching career and your sales uh, coaching uh, business. Um, cause you're dealing with like small business owners and different personas, like people that maybe don't have a strong background in sales necessarily. Maybe they're, you know, they're, they've got into a business. They don't know how they, 
they yeah. found themselves there and now all of a sudden they're having to sell things and maybe even speak and inspire or connect to people and they were never trained on how to do this and so jeremy can, can you give me a, uh, like some an example of you know somebody that maybe you first came to and they just were um they just were unsure they didn't sure. um, have experience in maybe um, traditional sales and kind of like, you know, how you, like what they became from um, you, you know, working uh, together and some of the things that you did with them. You know, yeah, I got a client in Delaware, right, of all places. I'm in South Florida. This this guy's in Delaware. He's a young person. John Hoopengardner is his name, pretty cool name. And he likes to do construction, but he never owned his own company, never had to do any selling. And he got a lead on this uh, bunch of cottages, 64 cottages where they needed the floors redone. So I helped him build a bid, which is selling, right? A bid is giving a, a price. And um, I've never done flooring, but I've done $80 million bids. So I know how to do bids. And, and the thing, trick about bids is how is the wording, making it very crystal clear about your expectations. What are you giving? What do you want in return? And what are the expectations and the timelines and uh, and all that kind of stuff? Well, this kid who's never worked before had uh, in, in the construction industry as his own boss, won his first bid for $634,000 to do these floors uh, and paint. Now they took the paint off the deal later, but he won it. So that he ended up uh, walking away with 340,000. As we were going through and doing the subfloors, he found half of them were the grade was wrong. So he had to go and give them a new price to jack all the floors up. Well, they went out to bid for that and he wanted to just, you know, do it John's way. And I said, listen, let's just rethink it again. Let's do it as a per, you know, per support. So that way, whether you do 50 of them or, or eight of them, they know exactly how much they're going to go. You're going to tell them they need 54, you believe, but you're going to charge this much per, and you're going to price it that way. And that way it can go bigger or smaller and you get a PO that, that talks accordingly. And he won that bid, right? So he has another, you know, $2,500 times 54. And so he's got another hundred and something thousand dollars on his PO of, of 380,000, whatever the first one was after they took the paint off the kids walking away after six months, he gets like 40% margin, right? Because we did, we reverse engineered it. He's going to make $200,000 in his pocket this year. Never had a job before in construction first bit out of the gate. And, but guess what? He had to deliver, right? He had to put the flooring in the flooring had to show up on time. He had to, um, make sure that it was cleaned up right and it is kept to the schedule and and then we worded everything that way so uh, that's one example the other one is um, my son Garrett he has a land service landscaping never done it before other than the neighborhood bought him some trucks and we showed him the power of do a good job at the houses that you have and then start working outwards and across the street and just start surrounding the houses with my example I come in here and clean cut I show up every other week the lawn looks great. You don't have any you know, blowing clippings in your area and you don't just blow them in the street and walk away. Uh, your windows never get broke. You know, give me a chance because I can give you a cheaper price if I'm next door because now I, get, I have two lawns, right? When I get five lawns, it's even cheaper so I can get everyone a better deal. So it's about clustering the deals, right? Remember um, the uh, American pickers, right? That The combo deals, right? You always get a better rate. Same thing with cutting grass. The more time you spend on a street not driving that truck around, the cheaper you can make your prices. I should say cheap. It's more competitive because gas is not cheap anymore. And uh, so we had to kind of raise our prices back up a little bit, but nobody, we didn't lose anyone. 
So doing that kind of stuff, it's just the little things. It's the relationships that you build, the way we do virtual coffees on LinkedIn. If you're a solopreneur and you want to grow your business, you don't ever have to sell at all. You just connect. Steve Nudelberg says the difference between contract and contact is the letter R. And that letter R stands for relationships. So build relationships to become a thought leader in your area for doing what you do. Referrals are the best, uh, second best way to get business. Number one best way is the introduction. So those are the four little tips for you that that I teach my my clients because it's yeah. worked for me. Yeah. I mean, when uh, do you like to uh, feel like it's the right time to ask for something? It sounds like you really just give a lot and, and maybe like you're not even thinking about asking for anything. You're only just meeting people and then it's just by natural, uh, by nature of the conversation, maybe it leads into what do you do or, you know, someone asking you what do you do before you actually telling them what you do like do you think of uh that in a certain formula or is it just really every conversation is different and you're just kind of trying to get to know people and then having them ask you versus you telling or or how to how well, what i do is is i when i talk to people or more importantly when i show people what i do is who i help how i help them who i help how i help them that's it i do it over and over and i do it every single day whether I'm talking to people on virtual coffees, what do you do? Oh, this is who I help. This is how I help them. I'm not telling them this is what I do. It's who I help, how I help them. Same thing with LinkedIn. My posts show who I help, how I help them. Um, most of my um, podcasts are based around who do I want in my, my orbit to see what I do. And then that's a little tricky because I'm actually bringing them on to, you know, for them to say what they do. But it's really because now they're going to be watching because we've connected and they're going to see what I do, who I help and how I help them. Once they see that and I didn't ask them for anything, they're going to start either asking me to help them or they're going to tell other people, this guy can help you. That's how you become a thought leader. So you don't have to ever have to ask for help. You just have to let enough people know who you help and how you help them and you'll get the referrals and the introductions and they'll ask you to help them. I never ask anyone to help. I never close. I never ABC. I'm always connecting, always be connecting. Right. But I don't do the close. I don't. So, so how can we do this? And then don't say anything. All right. This is not a credit card transactional relationship. It's a personal relationship. How can I help you? Who can I introduce you to? Who can I refer you to? If I refer enough people and introduce enough people, it all comes back around, but it usually comes back in two and threes. So you yeah. get more work. So yeah, it's a great I love like the who I help and how I help them. It sounds so basic or so simple, but people don't people don't do it. Um, they're just like pushing their stuff or uh, stuff that's so irrelevant. And it's like, you know, if if who I help isn't you, that's totally fine, you know. But like I'll think about, oh yeah, that was um you know, that was, that was Jeremy. Like he told me who he helped and I came across somebody that's just like that. And, yeah. oh, and, and, and they were looking for somebody that does it in this way. And, you know, and maybe they should just talk. I'm not even sure, you know, and like, right. You're, Worst you're, case you know, scenario, you make another personal relationship. Yeah. And even if it's yeah. not, a, people appreciate kind of like, you know, I just feel like so many people, especially on LinkedIn, like I I'm this way, like you get so, you know, jaded, you get so like desensitized, like I'll, I'll reach out to somebody in a personalized connection and they'll not want to connect because they'll think my motives or intentions are just to sell them. It's just like, I just want to get to know you and I want to know who, yeah. who you help and what you, how, how you help them and 
if I can help you uh, in that connection, maybe it's not me, but if somebody approached me like that, I'd be more inc- much more inclined to respond to them and um, say, great, like I can't use what you're doing, but if I ever think about uh, come across that, at least I have someone in my network that I can send someone to. Yeah. Would you be open to to that referral someday? And then it'd be like, sure. You know? <laughs> I yeah. would say no to that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I wrote one of my things on the board over there, is, I wrote, is uh, if we don't do the little things right, we're never going to do the big things right. And so what you're talking about is a little thing. And it's those little things, it's the collection of all the little things that you do consistently and with discipline and from the heart to serve every single day that add up to the big things. So it's these little things that people don't think of the virtual coffees. I have at least two virtual coffees every single day. And it's very, you know, I asked them, Hey, I see that you're doing. And one thing I do though, is I say, I noticed that you also, let's say like the hurricanes, Miami hurricanes. I, I look for something in the profile that I can connect with them on. So now I'm not talking about what they do for a living. I'm talking about something in their life that I connect with. I noticed you put a post up about your kids flag football. I used to coach my flag football, man. That was some fun times. How about a virtual coffee? And we can see how we can support each other because it looks like we both do kind of the same thing. They all say yes to that. Why would they say no? Well, I just told them what we have in common. And then on our virtual coffee, I, I start asking about them personally. How'd you get down here? Where were you born? How'd you get into that business? And we start asking, how'd you get into the business? Now they're talking about themselves and what they do and how they help people. And I ask them, how do you help people? How do you do this? How can I be a good referring partner? And what do you do? Oh, uh, you know, you see what I do, man. I'm all over LinkedIn. Here's how I help people. That's how, but how about you? How about your wife? How about your, you know, your husband? put it right back on them because they're going to start seeing then after you get up that virtual coffee you take your phone my phone's over there because we were talking in the studio and i had to move over here and you do a video hey man we just had a great virtual coffee just want to let you know i appreciate your time bam put that as a response because now it's a video they love that and when they start posting you start commenting and sharing and um and then just propping them up giving them credit and now whenever you post something, it's automatically going to be in their feed and they're going to start commenting on you. And then they're going to be a thought leader and you're going to be a thought leader because you're all over each other's feed. And that goes out. Uh, you don't want 30,000 of those, right? So people with 30,000, I've got, uh, I think, 2,000 connections. I've had virtual coffee with probably 1,700 of them. All right, it's probably a couple hundred that I haven't, but I know almost everyone in my connections and they wow. know me. And they're all there for a reason. They're all there because they, I can help them or they can help me. Wow. Oh, wow. That's it's just a, such a great framework. I like the, I like that when you reached out on LinkedIn, you're like, Hey, I noticed that X, Y, Z, you know, would love to connect. And it's not like, Hey, I noticed that by the way, you know, like we do this or like, Hey, I noticed that, you know, some people you think that they're this. personal, like, Hey, I noticed that, you know, curious if you, you'd be interested in, or, Hey, I noticed that, um, you know, uh, and it also looks like in your you're in this we should we should talk so it's like people get that fake kind of personalization you're just like hey man i noticed that you know this yeah. uh you know would love to connect sometime if you'd be open to a 15 minute call or something like that yeah just right like a connect. real you know disarming kind of way and um people usually don't need if 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 they go okay this person actually did find uh out a little bit about me he's offering to see if you know he can help with something he's not talking about himself. He's not talking about his product. He's not talking about anything about himself or anything. It's just uh, talking about me and asking me and 
Um, sure. And then in that conversation, you again don't talk about you, your product, but you do just getting yeah, it's not an things. opera. Me, 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 me. People yeah. calls like opera. Yeah. <laughs> not them. Um, but then, you know, um, yeah, and eventually like you, you know, the follow-up, personalized follow-up. And then, but then, you know, it's like, you know, they keep on seeing you, they keep on seeing you, and they can go to your profile and find out what you do and and all that stuff. But you've already told them, like, this is who I help. This is not what I do. Yeah. It's 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 who I help and how I help them. It's just, yeah, Jesse Ithler's all over that. It's, it's compliment and it, it's uh, celebrate and it's um, console because everyone is either having a win or they're having something they're bragging about or if something happened in their life. You can compliment, celebrate, or console. And I put the JT Fortsy on there. That's do it consistently. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, um, Jeremy, let me, you know, kind of as we're kind of closing off here, I mean, if you could um you know just kind of uh you know you you wish for something that you know people could do uh you know we talked a little bit about linkedin um you know what is your wish for just that person that has never done you know has never maybe been trained in sales um they're really you know never have gotten a class and maybe um you know think about the person that is you know uh 20 years people who have no bad habits no bad habits yeah <laughs> what do you, what would you like say that to help them um you know just do little things like let's talk about what are the little things that someone that has no sales experience could do and maybe what are the little things that that person that you've i'm sure come across that's like i know everything let's take those two different people what are the little things and maybe they're the same things um, no, they're, they're usually not the same things for the, somebody who's kind of green and just getting yeah. into it. The number one thing is you got to start at the bottom, man. You've got to start at the bottom. You've got to listen. You've got two ears, one mouth, use them proportionately, ask questions, say you don't know stuff. Then you have to be prepared to do it badly. Don't mm -hmm. expect, even though if you've asked the, the right questions and, and observed the right people and they're slaying it, you're going to suck, right? Jocko Willink says, embrace the suck. And um, if it's worth doing good, it's worth doing badly at first, okay? Uh, so do it badly, be okay with it. Know that's the growth part of it. You have to take those reps before you start hitting them out of the park. Uh, and then reading, well, you know, leaders, uh, not all leaders, not all readers lead, but all leaders read. So take a book, I'm dyslexic AF, as they call it, the kids call it, uh, so what I do is I kind of just scroll the books and then nuggets jump right out at me, man. Nuggets just jump. And then I stop, you know, then I go back a page and then I read a couple of paragraphs and then I got it. And I take it with me and I close the book and I might read it again in a year or three months or whatever it is. But those nuggets come with me. Uh, it's what it, it's what you consume. Right. So if you're new into something, start consuming as much as you can with your ears and your eyes watching the YouTube videos and going online and to the to LinkedIn and certain groups, Facebook groups. And there you're going to learn different angles and different perspectives, get a mentor, take someone to lunch who's done it, who do, is doing what you want to do. Maybe not the company that you're at, but another company so you can get a different perspective, hold yourself accountable, account, maybe get somebody else new and have accountability partners. So you're both pushing each other to do well and lifting each other up instead of competing with each other. I mean, there's a competition there, but it's healthy and supportive. Um, if it's like me where I changed Careers, you know, at 38 years old, and I went into sales and marketing, and I kept saying, I know, I know that was my, and I had a girl named Daphne Fernandez with an S, 
And she used to look at me. She goes, I hate when you say I know. And I was like, Ooh, I know. Oh no. You know, it was like a, it was like a nervous tick, you know, but I thought that I did know, I felt like, you know, I was 38 years old and yeah, I just lost everything, but I was doing pretty well. So she would tell me to do this stuff. And I would say, yeah, I know. Well, I, shut up, man. I don't know. All right. Even if I know, I don't know this, this way, this, this mm. system, this process, humble yourself, try to see it from their perspective, start over. And from that perspective, it'd be, it is like the greenhorn. Um, you're doing something different for a reason because all you knew didn't really work all the way. So there's always something better to learn. You get 1% better, no matter what, you know, there's other ways to apply that knowledge because knowledge is useless without putting it into application. That's when it becomes wisdom. So because I knew it doesn't mean I was doing it and just, and then not doing it the right way meant that I wasn't getting the results. So knowing isn't everything. It's actually putting it into practice. Um, that does, I know how to lift weights all day long. If I don't lift weights, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, in shape and I'm going to get sick and, you know, I hate lifting weights. They're heavy, but I got to do them. So that, that gives me the advantage there is that, uh, I do not this, that, that I know. And then you have a do say ratio. That's a, that's a noodleberg nugget. There is a do say ratio. What do you say? Back it up and do same amount, hundred percent. That should be your, should be no less than a hundred percent. Do say 100% ratio one-to-one. Yeah. Wow. I like that. That's very uh, wise words right there, <laughs> Jeremy. Um, you know, I'm, I kind of, you know, I think that we all, uh, the, the people that are really elite um, and they're, you know, using this approach, they're tapping into really kind of like what's inside of them, their personalities, their, 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 you know, really great, um, you know, human skills, like they're, 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 they're bringing forth more of their personalities to the forefront. And um, this question to, you know, I ask every guest, and it's a fun question. It's just something that really gets out like a fun story about you or a friend side of you. And I'm sure somebody maybe could relate. And, you know, that's how you like, it, it just made me think like your, your coffee conversations, I imagine like, you tell something about like you said, like, hey, I did this, you know, like you went to Miami, or you did this, or I remember, you know, hey, I saw you did, I noticed this, well, I know I, I had something similar happen to me, or, you know, it just brings up something, you're connect, you, we connect with each other on things that we can relate. So, so this question, Jeremy, it's a fun one. So if I could ask your wife, your kids, something that is just so totally Jeremy, something that could only happen to you, something that would only happen to you, maybe a story that they would like, you know what, that story, oh my God, that could only happen to Jeremy Tourisk. Uh, what would they tell me? What would your uh, your kids, your wife tell me that's just so totally you? Well, what happens for me is when I say that I want to do something, they know that I'm going to be, it doesn't mean it's going to get done. It doesn't mean I'm going to be successful. But they know that I'm going to jump in with both feet. I'm going to pull the trigger <laughs> faster than I should. I'm going to spend a, too much money on something that I shouldn't spend that much money on. I'm going to spend too much time. And I'm going to uh, probably be very uncomfortable for a long time. But they also know that doing all of that is going to lead to another opportunity that might not have anything to do with the goal that I wanted. And I always tell them, see? Without that, I wouldn't have met this person, that's talking to that person, now I wouldn't be doing this, which is so much better 
than what I even thought that I wanted. That happens to me all the time. So the biggest word on that is next, right? Okay, that wasn't it. But next, look at that opportunity, right? After I've given this enough go, but so many things have come through failures, through mm. things that I knew were for me. But the bigger, better deal was just waiting and I couldn't see it because I was so focused on this and that led me to that. I wouldn't have gotten that without this. So I'm not afraid to try new things. I'm not afraid to put self-limiting or to get rid of my self-limiting beliefs that these elite people you talk about, the number one thing that they have over everyone else is that their goals are so much higher than you could even fathom. Their goals are ginormous hairy big audacious goals all right because that's the only way you surpass everyone else who have these little achievable goals because in their mind they're self-limiting going if i could just get there uh-uh my goals are stratosphere goals because even if i don't make it if i'm only halfway there i'm still so far off the earth that i'm i look like i'm in the elite from way down here I like it. That's a great. <laughs> I'm I'm curious to know like some of the things that you've found uh, from some failures. But you said it earlier, like you, um, things happen for you and not to you is is such yeah. a powerful thing. And um, I've had guests that say that to me too. So, um, Jeremy, I, I feel like uh, because of uh, you know what, like that just made me think of like had I not put myself out on LinkedIn and started this podcast, I wouldn't know Tabitha Kavanaugh, uh, my first guest, and Tabitha Kavanaugh wouldn't send me uh, the book uh, by Scott McGregor, um, oh, uh, interviewing all like the, the um, you know, top people and their games and um, interviewing them for his, um, you know, his book. Yeah, so he's Jeremy happens to be, uh, you know, standing O. He's he's a uh, standing O book that I'll put in the notes. So he he happens to be profiled in in one of the the ver volumes of that. And so I if I hadn't known that, I would never would have read that book and read about you and then connected to you and been sitting here with really you. Really crazy, right? Right. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And and then guess what? This is going to lead both of us to so many other places and other people and things and opportunities. And and from this. Just think how many people we get to help and serve. Yeah, I love it. That's why I do it, Jeremy. So uh, where can people continue to reach out to you, not about them, but you know, genuinely wanting to, to know you and find out more about what you do uh, and keep it going? So my LinkedIn is the best place. It is called a Jeremy Torisk and it's spelled J-E-R-E-M-Y-T-O-R-I-S-K, like two risk at uh, LinkedIn backslash whatever, whatever that is. Uh, DM me, I'll send any one of your listeners who, who DMs me a book. Uh, can you email them a PDF copy uh, or uh, you can go buy it on Amazon. It's always available on Amazon. It's really cheap, like $5.99. It's the lowest price I can legally put it without them not letting me sell it because I, I want these most, most of, for the most part, just to give away. Uh, so for, and that book is Labor to Leadership, not Scott's book. That one is, uh, I got one chapter, but I wrote a book about my life and all the stuff I went through and how I got here in labor to leadership. So that's how they can get to me. LinkedIn, uh, email me, call me 954-338-9799. Dial away. I'll answer. All right. Not wow. on a podcast, but uh, I'll answer soon enough. Uh, some of my best opportunities have come from giving phone numbers out on this podcast. 954-338-9799. That's awesome. Look at you. I think you're the first person that gave their personal phone number out to us. And um, a free book. What is it about? So personal it. relationships. Give give uh <laughs> and it it 
the world is a better place because of it. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time, my man, joining me and uh, for bearing with me for some of our technical. Hey, talk about adversities. We got them all in space, man. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Well, you have a you have a great uh, rest of your day, man. Thank you. For Absolutely, I got the uh, the yeah the go mastermind go giver mastermind tonight. The think and go go rich mastermind is also tonight. So we got a lot of good stuff helping a lot of people. Dude, amazing. Thank you. Jeremy. Check you later, man. All right, Brian. Hey gang, all right, wow, you made it to the end. I know your time is valuable, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for spending your time here with me. If you heard a quote you liked, got a quick bit of value, or you have an idea that can help convince others to join, I urge you to take a minute and leave a five-star rating and review. That helps us gain influence and bring some really great guests on to add even more value to you and others. You can also always contact me directly to tell me your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you. All my info is in the notes. Let's help convince anyone that they have the ability to sell well just by being great humans. And this podcast is proof. All right. See you on the next episode of Stories of Selling Human.